0: The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, before there was Brady, Manning, Montana, Unitas, or Graham, there was Samuel Adrian Baugh, a quarterback that did more than just throw a football you're behind the mic with michael neal jr happy new year we're back (laughs) welcome back uh it's it's another late drop it's wednesday but hey it was the holidays we're still here for you we are uh nfl historians lovers of sports history welcome in 2024 january 3rd (laughs) this show is for you guys and gals again always say this it's cool if you guys already know this stuff that's great congratulations to you but there's always someone else who does not this show exists for those who don't know as much about nfl history and so what i'm here to do is to enlighten teach and learn it is the behind the mic podcast i am your host michael neal jr this show is presented by belly up sports belly up media belly up sports podcast network you can check us out on bellyupsports.com go to that website click on it check out the shows as well as the merch that we have the stories we have plenty of writers and uh you know especially this show is Please, this show, this show, NFL history, I know you like it. Uh, But you can catch all of our shows in the Belly Up Sports podcast family on our home base of Megaphone. Also, all of the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and anywhere you can find a podcast. So, we're getting right to it. Takeaways. (laughs) We're getting ready to head into the final week. It was week 17, right? What are the takeaways from this week? Not storylines anymore. What are the takeaways? The Baltimore Ravens are the best team in the league. The quarterback position proves more important than ever. <laughs> just ask the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And some teams choose the wrong week to lose games, while others they just take advantage. Week 17, it is the rundown. Thursday Night Football, TNF, Amazon Prime, Jets, Browns. Joe Flacco is a hero. You know, his struggles after being the Super Bowl MVP with the Baltimore Ravens and things didn't go well in Denver or with the New York Jets. Just remember the coaching staffs that were there. Uh, wasn't great. At least in Kevin Stefanski, he's got an offensive minded type guy that has that offense clicking, even though they've had all of these injuries. It's just It's just amazing. It's baffling. That's coaching. That is coaching. And then Joe Flacco coming up off the couch. 38 years old and playing the way that he has. And all he did was, you know, Thursday night nearly throw for nearly 300 yards in the first half alone, finished with 309 to go along with three touchdowns. And the Browns beat up on the Jets. Well, Cleveland, they coasted a little bit in the second half. And speaking of the Jets, that is uh, <laughs> what did not help was a pick six a blocked field goal in the second half. Cleveland only scored three points. New York could not take advantage, even though they forced Cleveland to punt three times in the second half, and they recorded, uh, recovered a fourth quarter fumble. Well, first time in NFL history, teams that scored a combined 50 plus points in the first half, no touchdowns in the second. Never been done before, ever. The Cleveland Browns became the first team in NFL history to make the playoffs with four quarterbacks starting multiple games. Yeah, Deshaun Watson, Darrell Thompson-Robinson, PJ Walker, and now Joe Flacco. And they're in the playoffs. Browns 37, Jets 20. Monday Night Football special on Saturday night. So we got some Saturday Night Football this past weekend. The Lions and the Cowboys. And I was out for dinner with friends and with my my brother and sister and and, uh, my wife. We were at dinner and then my sister says, this game isn't very good, nobody's scoring. It was still what, seven to three? Jimmy Johnson on that night, he gets into the ring of honor. That was a great moment surrounded by former Cowboys, including Michael Irvin, who was there to watch C.D. Lamb not only break his Cowboys single season record in receptions and yardage, but he caught, what, 13 passes and had 227 yards receiving. Should have had a little bit more, especially to fumble the ball into the end zone. Anyway, got a friend. Uh, get to church Sunday and he's he's another Cowboys fan. He's talking about how about them Cowboys? I said, you need to be thankful. Detroit, if you did not see the game, I'm pretty sure you know about now but by now Detroit drives down the field. They score with a minute and 18 seconds and uh, in in a minute and 18 seconds and if it wasn't for that illegal touching, Detroit might have won the game. Might, might. Understand you kick the ball back to the Cowboys. Maybe they go and kick a field goal. Anything was possible. Dan Campbell He discussed with the refs pregame about what the Detroit's offensive lineman, Taylor Deckers, is going to do. The play, he shows them the diagram of the play pregame. And then Deckers checking in, uh, goes right to the white hat ref, and he says he's eligible. Now, apparently there was some confusion because there were multiple line, uh, line linemen that were going to the ref, and it looked like they were signaling to him that they were all eligible, and I guess that's the reason why he didn't make the call. I don't know, but apparently, the, the White Hat did not own up to the mistake of not saying that Decker was going to be the eligible receiver. You know, do with that what you will. Uh, never turns his mic on to let you know the state even know. And wide open, tack touchdown. There's a flag, illegal touching. Next play, Michael Parsons. He jumps off sides, nullifies the Jared Goff interception that he throws. Next play, incomplete. And that was pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand the refs did not make the call. And if they had, we don't know. uh, But it was a good game, There, at least towards the end. Very interesting scenario. But the Cowboys, 20, Lions, 19. Sunday, noon, Titans, Texans. C.J. Stroud was back from his concussion and the Texans. Uh, the Texans left, no doubt, on Sunday. Um, and then Stroud, he only went 213 yards in the touchdown. with Kyle Fergurn did the rest with four field goals. Will Levers knocked out of the game. He had his foot stepped on during a sack in the second quarter. The defense had a scoop and score. Not very good... <laughs> A good season for Tennessee. Um, but the Texas defense finished with six sacks on the day. And they got five more on Ryan Tannehill, by the way, uh, and when he replaced Levis. Derrick Henry was on a milk carton. Texas 26, tech, uh Titans, excuse me, three. Then Dolphins, Ravens. <laughs> wow. So all after all the controversy with Florida State being left out of the CFP, the college football playoff, They had to play Georgia in the bowl game and the Bulldogs put 63 points on them and beat them by 60. Florida State did not want to be there. Kind of feel like the Dolphins felt the same way at some point in Baltimore on Sunday. And I'm pretty sure that Miami could have used Raheem Mostert, who was out with injury. Jalen Waddle, who missed the game because of injury. Baltimore, they could have had the same excuse. They've lost some guys along the way this year. And the Dolphins gave up over 50 points and nearly 500 yards of offense and I think Lamar Jackson just won himself the MVP pretty simple day right 18 of 21 321 yards and five touchdown passes five yes uh and as I've said before Baltimore is the best team in the league right now and although I felt like uh you know Brock Purdy and the 49ers can still win the Super Bowl. They're going to have to definitely redeem themselves because, what, last week, week 16, they got the brakes beat off of them uh, on national TV. Not good. Miami wasn't ready, just like San Fran was not ready the week before. And now, uh, you know, the Ravens are the number one overall seed in the AFC. Ravens 56. Dolphins, 19, yeah, bowl game. Patriots, Bills, Patriots scored the first touchdown of the day. Jalen Rager returns to open and kick off 98 yards for a touchdown. And they actually hung in there against Buffalo like a hair in a biscuit. Gross, yeah. Bailey Zappi literally gave points to Buffalo. 17 of the Bills' points were scored off of three of Zappi's interceptions, including a pick six. With all that, all they needed to do was make a third down stop late in the fourth quarter, and they may have had a chance You know, at some point, but of course, Josh Allen, he picks up four yards on fourth. I mean, excuse me, third and three. And then Allen did just enough, um, especially with his arm, (laughs) just enough in spite of his terrible numbers. Um, You know, winner take all date on Miami. Sunday night football. That's going to be great. And if Buffalo wants in the playoffs, they're going to have to win their seventh straight game. New England get ready for the draft. Bills 27, Patriots 21. Falcons-Bears. Every time I looked up at this game, the Falcons would turn the football over. This was the wrong time for that if you're trying to make the playoffs. With all these 8-8 eight and eight teams, 7-8, and 8-7, eight, uh, eight you know, the, <laughs> the NFC South is loaded like that, right? Taylor Heineke was starting in place of Desmond Ritter, who had been benched, and nice, not, su- not surprising at all, Heineke throws three picks, Ritter comes in, he throws another, Arthur Smith definitely needs a quarterback. The Bears have won with Justin Fields, got 268 yards out of him, 124 yards from um, Khalil Herbert on the ground, and DJ Moore catching nine passes for 159 more. The Bears can use that first-round pick that they earned from the Panthers losing, uh, you know, continuing to lose, that is, and perhaps grab Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State if he does decide to go in, right? Um so they had more to celebrate than just their seventh win of the season. Bears 37, Falcons 17, Raiders, Colts. One thing I've learned about football is no matter what the opponent was the week before, your guard cannot be let down. And you know, I don't know if they overlooked the Colts. Sure, they couldn't overlook the Colts because the Colts was on pretty much they got the, uh, a better record than the Raiders, or at least by at least one game. Right? You know, one week they beat Kansas City on their turf. Uh, in Kansas City. The coach is emotional after the game and all is well in Vegas, but the Raiders have an outside chance of making the playoffs and the Colts are still trying to win their division as well as getting the playoffs. Jonathan Taylor, he ran for a season-high 96 yards. Minshew works his magic in the passing game, but the Raiders should have had a chance to win even with all that. Jack Jones, defensive back for Vegas, gets called for pass interference. Then he lines up off sides. Two penalties that led to Colts' points deep in the fourth quarter. Oh well, Colts 23, Raiders 20, Panthers, Jaguars. Not gonna lie, didn't really watch this game. Didn't watch a lot of them. All I know is Trevor Lawrence did not play. Josh Allen, linebacker Josh Allen, set a franchise record in sacks with 16 and a half. He had three on Sunday. Evan Ingram became the eighth tight end in NFL history to catch 100 passes. He's got 104. Travis Etienne, he had 102 on the ground and two scores. He became the first player since... Maurice Jones drew to score at least 10 touchdowns rushing in a single season for the Jacksonville franchise. In other news, the Panthers stink, and their owner, David, David Tepper, was caught throwing a drink on Jaguars fans. Not good. Jaguars 26, Panthers Zippo. Giants Rams, this wouldn't be the first time the Rams raced out to a lead this season and almost lost it. 5 and 1, you know, was their record coming into this game. Uh, they lost the Ravens game in a shootout you know in the pouring rain with the punt returning overtime but the rams have maintained and they're trying to get to the postseason and it helps when Kyron williams runs for three touchdowns and that offset matt stafford's uh, poor passing day can't be playing like that there towards the end of the season just keep the good stuff up right two interception day sacked four times the rams got to tyrod taylor six times defensively and yet he keeps hope alive he had to Big 31-yard scamper in fourth quarter. Time is winding down. And then, uh, you know, Taylor did miss uh, a wide-open Saquon Barkley on a two-point conversion early in the game, and maybe this one-point game would have been a little bit in their favor. And like I said, Barkley was wide open, but then you bring in Mason Crosby, who was the fourth kicker this season to be employed by the Giants. He misses a potential 54-yarder, ouch seattle would lose later in which the rams got into the playoffs we'll talk about that later rams 26 giants 25 cardinals eagles philadelphia clearly is taking a sip from the wrong drink and that (laughs) that drink is that super bowl hangover right i fully understand this is the nfl and the other team get paid gets paid to i always tell you that right Well, the Eagles, they had no business losing that game on Sunday at home. You can't do it. You just can't do it. But that happens when you allow Kyler Murray to go off like he did. Second half alone, four straight scoring drives, and Murray was 13 of 14, three touchdown passes. And right now, the team that started 10-1, and they've lost four of their last five. They struggled beating the Giants last week, and they got the Giants again this week and they look like a basketball player that does a lot of fancy dribbling. Then they get to the cup, and they miss the layup. You got to finish. You got to finish game. Much like the Chiefs, their offense still isn't consistent enough. Hurts had three touchdown passes, but the defense, you know, even though they had the Sidney Brown pick six or whatever, whatever, well, the defense keeps giving up too many points and yards. Been the story all year long for the most part. And, uh, you know, 221 yards on the ground, James Conner had 128 of those. Not good heading into the pro season. Cardinals 35, Eagles 31. Saints, Buccaneers, that went the opposite of what I thought it would. I expected Tampa Bay to play better than that. It was 20 to nothing in the fourth quarter before the Bucs even scored. And those kind of things tend to happen when you have your quarterback throws two interceptions, the offense fumbles the ball away twice. That's four turnovers for those who can't keep count. And all credit goes to the Saints defense. They made it happen. Saints 23, Buccaneers 13. 49ers commanders, that top spot in the NFC has been a little bit too hot for the Eagles and the Cowboys to handle. So 49ers put the oven mitts on, they'll take it. I'm sure it was nice for three guys who were part of the Washington organization. At one point, Kyle Shanahan, Chase Young, Trent Williams, a little homecoming, right? Uh, and up until halftime, the commanders pretended like they wanted to win this game. And they may have had a better chance had Jacoby Brissett and not missed the game because of a bad hamstring. Instead, the NFL's interception leader got the start, Sam Howell, that would be Sam Howell. <laughs> and uh, he promptly threw two more. And after Sunday, there's a possibility he could get replaced as Washington could have the second overall pick in the draft. But uh, the 49ers were in shutdown mode second half, as a matter of fact. And even though Christian McCaffrey sat out most of that half with a calf injury, Brock Purdy took care of things. Uh, he's thrown a franchise record, 4,280 yards so far this season. That's his franchise. But 49ers, great quarterback and comes out of there. 49ers get the win, 27, Commanders 13, afternoon slate. Steelers Seahawks well 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 Luke who decided to have over 400 yards in total offense again no Mason Rudolph didn't have a touchdown pass but he didn't have any turnovers he completed 75% of his passes and had what 274 through there Najee Harris off buck 22 on the ground first 100 yard day since last season in week 17 that's pretty bad but look we'll take it we'll take it passes in the past right George Pickens, seven catches, over 130 yards. I'm a happy Steelers fan. I wish you could have been uh, doing this sooner, Pittsburgh, but you know, they could possibly squeeze into the playoffs. Could they beat Baltimore this week? Yeah. 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 If they're really in, in uh, sit-down mode, right? But they're in a better position than the Seahawks at this point. Seattle couldn't afford to lose. They definitely have to win this week, along with some help with other teams losing to make the postseason. And I know, um, didn't know this, Pittsburgh hadn't won in Seattle in 40 years, not since 1983. They got it done. Steelers 30, Seahawks 23. Bengals, Chiefs, ooh-wee, six field goals by Kansas City. Nothing gives me more pumped during a football game than hearing Jim Nance say Harrison Bucker from 54. Harrison Bucker from 43. Harrison, I mean, you get it, right? I I mean, I get goosebumps. (sighs) Right? Yeah. Kansas City, they drank from the same can as Philadelphia. They have the Super Bowl winning hangover. Um, But when the whole world is watching every game, especially as you as as a receiving core, you continue to drop passes, that will be addressed in the offseason. And yet everything worked out. It did. Isaiah Pacheco, he ran for a career-high 130 on only 18 carries. Mahomes went over 4,000 yards passing for the sixth year in a row. And the Chiefs defense came with two of their six sacks on Jake Browning, and this was on Cincinnati's final drive of the game to seal their eighth consecutive AFC West title. Congratulations. Pope fans will love this one. In the words of Jules Winfield, the Chiefs beat the Bengals 25-17. Yeah, you'll get it. Chargers, Broncos, Sean Payton, you should be ashamed of yourself. Y- y- y'all look bad. You signed Russell Wilson to a contract. And I understand the guy hasn't played up to that paper that he signed, but yeah, this will definitely be the final week that Broncos fans will see him anyway. On the sidelines, that is. Instead, you know, you got Jared Stidham. He ran the offense in the battle of the backups between him and Easton Stick of the Chargers. And the difference in the game outside of three field goals a piece. By both teams, was a 54-yard short touchdown pass, a short pass that was turned into a 54-yarder. In the second quarter, from Stidham to Lil' Jordan Humphrey absolutely was refusing to be tackled. That was a great run by him, but the only positive for the Chargers was Khalil Mack's 16th sack of the season, which is a career-high for him, and he went over the 100-sack mark for his career. Broncos 16, Chargers 9, Sunday Night Football Packers Vikings it just doesn't matter who's playing quarterback for the Vikings right now the results are not the same as when Kirk Cousins is in there we know that Jaron Hall the rookie he got knocked out in his first start right well this week got his second start got yanked eventually for Nick Mullins who threw four picks last week and I guess Josh Dobbs is buried on the depth chart right now and on the Packers side offensively they did what they were supposed to do they got Aaron Jones back finally at 100 percent and at least close to 100%, as he said pregame. Um, he goes and rushes for a buck 20. Love throws three touchdown passes and runs for another. And he's turned out to be better than I thought as a quarterback. His first season, his numbers speak for themselves 3,843 yards passing, 63% completions, 30 touchdowns, and 11, touch, uh, 11 interceptions. Remember, they were two and five, and now they're eight and eight, knocking on the playoff door. Yeah. Packers 33, Vikings 10. Coming up next, some of the greatest passers in the history of the NFL. The first one was a man from Texas. And the man they called Slangin' Sammy did more than just throw the football. We look at the history of pro football and the passers that we see today um, going backwards, you know, I mean, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Troy Aikman, Jim Kelly, Warren Moon, John Elway, Dan Marino, Joe Montana, Terry Bradshaw, Fran Tarkenton, Bart Starr, Johnny Unitas, Otto Graham. It, these were some of the greatest passers in league history. You know, not all of them put up gaudy numbers. I mean, if you look at Troy Aikman, he wasn't throwing up. You know four and five thousand yard seasons, but he was as efficient as a passer as you got. And he did have his seasons where he, you know, he, he took advantage of having a guy like Michael Irvin. Right. That's why he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, not just because uh, of the Super Bowl wins, but he was a really good quarterback. Um but then you had the ones that was like Peyton Manning and Warren Moon, uh, that was throwing for and Dan Marino that were throwing for all those yards and setting all these records. And then Tom Brady go, comes through, and Drew Brees, who was eventually going to be a Hall of Famer as well, you know, they come in and they just they explode with the rules being the way they are now, and it pretty much free reign on being able to throw the football, and they're being a premium on being able to throw the football as well. Well, you have to understand pro football's humble beginnings. You remember there was a time when throwing the football was illegal. Eventually, it was made legal, but it wasn't. You know, one of those things where the teams were going to throw it more than they were going to run it because that's what they knew. They ran the football. Football's roots are in what? Rugby. Pick the ball up and run with it, right? Um, And you also have to remember the football was, it almost resembled like a, not a basketball. It was almost round, but it just wasn't what it looks like today. But you know, I've got a great book called How Football Became Football, 150 Years of the Game's Evolution. And this was written by Timothy P. Brown. And I must quote, and I'm quoting this book in this instance. In 1932, the first year the NFL kept official game statistics, the average team completed four of 12 passes thrown per game. Similarly, the consistent game uh, statistics came to the college's in 1937, the average offense completed five of 13 attempts for, what, 64 and a half yards per game, end quote. So you know, this is something that someone may be having some issues in the first quarter, <laughs> you know, having a bad quarter, let alone an entire game. It kind of resembles Nebraska 1980, you know, or, or the the early 90s where they were running that, uh, you know, that option offense all the time and they threw the football to their receivers maybe they, the leading receiver had about 10 or 15 catches in a season but we're, we're a long ways away from that but the rules were restrictive passing wise as well and this is speaking of the NFL I'm just keeping it with the league the pass had to be thrown behind the line of scrimmage right but 5 yards either to the left or the right of the center and that was the rule I've discussed this before Uh, and it's good to have an understanding of this, but there was a catch, right? Incompletions were penalized. (laughs) If a pass was incomplete, you turn the football over to the other team unless it was touched by another player before it hit the ground. (laughs) That's crazy, right? And so you can see why most coaches were not fans of throwing the football. Remember the 1932 NFL championship game? The Portsmouth Spartans, they lost to the Bears off of a pass play where you know, it was thought to have been illegal and not in that five-yard space, you know, either side or center, right? Well, in the in next year, a pass could be uh, thrown anywhere behind the line of scrimmage. Doesn't matter, okay? Throw it from anywhere. Not to mention that pass blocking was terrible. There were run blocking guys on pass plays. That makes no sense, right? There was no cup system, all right? That was developed by Paul Brown in the mid-40s. In short, the passing game was in its primitive stages, and you must think about that for a minute. Passing, um, the, the way that things are now, all that stuff, it did, you have to look at it uh, beyond from what you see it today. But there was a guy that we could point to that is mostly responsible for the change. Samuel Adrian Barr. Yes, Sammy Barr, as he would be known Taught himself how to throw growing up in Texas as a kid. He had the swinging tire from a tree. He's teaching himself how to throw, not just uh, standing in one place. He's throwing on a run. He's got the the ball uh, going in all different directions. He has a wide stance, uh, and he grows to be a 6'2", 180-pound kid that can throw the football all over the lot. Ends up going to TCU. Now, keep this in mind. When the passing rules changed in 1933, by 1934, there was a slimmer football that came through the system and which made it a lot more easier to pass, right? So it wasn't the the balloon-esque type ball that you saw uh, in the the teens and 20s and 30s that looked more like a rugby ball, but looked a little bit more modern, right? Well, at TCU, he was there for three years. He throws 587 passes and 39 touchdowns. Those were big numbers in those times, because again, they weren't throwing the football like that. And the guy was also an avid punter as well. All-American, leads TCU to a national title. And here's the thing, out of college, he actually was signed by the same St. Louis Cardinals. Major League Baseball was calling already. And also the thing is, I did not know that he did not earn his nickname for throwing the football The slinging Sammy part became that because he was a star baseball player in not just high school, but also in college. And he was a a really great shortstop and third baseman at TCU. And they called him slinging Sammy because of that. So looking at it from that perspective, let's fast forward to the then Boston Braves turned Boston Redskins boston would eventually move to washington right and that's because george preston marshall was sick and tired of boston and uh, their fans not showing up to his games obviously there was a reason well 1936 nfl championship game while ball is an all-american at tcu marshall is moving the championship game to the Polo grounds in new york saying boston doesn't deserve to have this championship game there because they weren't showing up all season long And because, you know, those games at the time, they weren't playing them in Miami or in California or somewhere in Texas. They were playing at the team who was... Uh, let's just put it, they were number one overall, so you had to go to their house. Well, he had first dibs on where he wanted to play the game, and instead of playing in Boston, they moved to the Polo Grounds in New York. Well, uh, Boston fans weren't coming to games. Why? Because between 1932 and 1935, they were a 500 or below team. In 35, actually, they were 2-8-1. It's kind of the worst record. That was the worst record that they had at the time. 36, they were 7-5, respectable. Ended up playing the Packers, whom they lost to in that championship game, by the way, 21 to 6. Marshall's own wife had declared, Look, you got a boring team, man. You know, fewer than 500 season ticket holders. That's wild. And maybe part of that is because <laughs> they were bad because Marshall was a meddler. I read all about how the guy was controlling the corn flip, he'd be out there on the field for the corn flip. Telling players what to do, uh on the sidelines. He was roaming the sidelines, telling the coaches, you need to sub this guy, you need to run this play. He's cussing out the coach, the refs, everybody. You know, now they hire Ray Flaherty, and Flaherty was like, Look here, as the new coach, and he was a respected guy, respected guy around the league. And he told Marshall straight up, Look, we're not doing this. You're gonna stay your butt in the the box and I'm going to coach the team well I mean (laughs) quiet as kept he did have a phone installed by the bench so he could call down and offer his suggestions I don't know how much Flaherty actually took those suggestions but they ended up turning into a winning team more not just because of Ray Flaherty but we'll get to that here in a second well you have a a meddlesome owner and you have a bad team because you think you know better and you don't you had just got into pro football in in 1932 you have no idea so they eventually would move to dc and ball became their first round pick number six overall so ball he even declared look i don't know much about pro football he said i didn't we didn't even know how many teams they had in pro football in those days and he also declared uh you know as far as his passing arm He could throw for many positions. No one told him to do it. And he's like, if someone's never even thrown the got ball, then can't nobody really tell you how to do it. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm quoting him from the the movie, the football movie, 75 Seasons, during the interview for that movie. He was great, man. Oh, he was great. Um, And he also said he wished he had been playing today. And today at the time, that was, what, 1994? Um, So, you know, it was... uh, very interesting to hear him speak on different things. But when it came to the to the Redskins, all due respect, this is a historical show. It came down to Sammy's contract. Well, he turned down Marshall's $5,000 contract offer, and he kind of pulled to John Elway. And John Elway was not the first to do this. Nothing new in the sun, right? He threatened to play baseball with the Cardinals instead. And so Marshall eventually made Ball the highest pay, paid player in the NFL just before a training camp. $8,000 agreed to over the phone, where a marshal wanted him to get off the plane wearing a cowboy outfit since he was from Texas. Now look, Ball said, look, I, I grew up, you know, not out there on a the farm like that. I, I didn't grow up, I was more of a city guy at the time. Cause I ain't wear a hat and, and boots and all that stuff. Well, <laughs> uh, he had a Stetson hat, a checkered shirt, Whipcord pants and a pair of high heel cowboy boots, according to the author John Eisenberg of the book, the book I Love the Week. That wasn't something that Ball was wearing, you know, and he told Marshall, he said, look, my, heat, my feet hurt, man. <laughs> he's there on the tarmac, and he's like, my feet hurt. But uh, but when they finally got the training camp, as the story goes, you know, Flaherty, you know, puts Sammy Ball uh, in a passing drill. They're getting ready to practice, right? And so, and this is from the book America's Game, and I'm going to quote this one as well. So he's taking the field for his first practice session with the Redskins. And Flaherty says, they tell me that you're quite a passer. And uh, Boss says, I reckon I could throw a little. And he's like, show me. Hit the receiver in the eye. And Boss says, all right, which eye? So <laughs> that uh, he's like, I could do this. Whatever you ask me to do, I can get it done. So. The first year Ball wasn't even the starting quarterback. The starting halfback was Cliff Battles and they also, well actually the starting fullback was Cliff Battles and they put Ball at halfback. Riley Smith, who was the number two overall pick the year before was starting at quarterback. All three of them threw passes though. And then after the first four games though, they were two and two and things were not going very well and they lost to Philadelphia 14 to nothing. And Flaherty, he basically gives the keys to ball. And still from the halfback position, they threw the football. He threw the football the most. Okay. Um they were 6-1 when they made the switch. And so the season finale against the New York Giants at the polar grounds. The Giants only allowed 60 points all year long. And Washington won that game 49 to 14. And this is the change that you get when you get a better quarterback. You hear that, Minnesota? You know, Atlanta? All the, either you resign Kirk Cousins or you need to draft one. Anyway, so uh, then they get to the 1937 championship game, and this was played at Wrigley Field. So the Chicago Bears were their, you know, the guys that they had to face off, and ball went plump off, and they won their first championship, 28 to 21. Now, the crazy part is, is that Ball injured his hip and he returned in the second half. Fourth quarter, he throws pretty much what turned out to be the game winning touchdown pass in the end. He goes 18 for 33 and throws for 335 yards and three touchdowns and only one pick. This was the kind of quarterback that they were going to have going forward. That's what the kind of quarterback that they needed. 1942, Washington was 10 and 1 world war ii had depleted a lot of nfl rosters and including the bears the bears what what 11 and 0 despite losing half their roster and of course they ended up being the dynasty of the 40s anyway But well, december 13 1942 they uh washington beat chicago 14 to 6 at griffin stadium that was the washington's home stadium and somewhat avenging their 73 to nothing beat down from uh three two years earlier in 1940 yeah but well, 1943 uh what you also need to know okay is that the man played not just quarterback he was their punter which he started doing it in 1939 for washington even though he did it in college and he was also a defensive back so he leads the nfl in passing punting with a 45 near a 46 yard average and he led them in interception. He had 11 picks. 1940, you know, ball actually punted before a 51.4 yard average and is still an NFL record today. That tells you what kind of punter he was as as well. Matter of fact, you know, he led the NFL in punting from 1940 to 1943. <laughs> That's pretty good for a quarterback, right? November 14th, 1943. So they have a 42 to 20 win against the Detroit Lions. Ball had four touchdown passes, and then he picked off Detroit quarterback Frankie Sinkwich four times. Tied for the most in the game in NFL history, and the only player in league history to do that. Then you get to the 1943 championship game. Well, first quarter, no score, right? Second, so Ball goes in for a tackle on Bears quarterback Sig Lugman, an eventual Pro Football Hall of Famer, and he was hitting the head by Luckman's knee knocked him plumb out the injury occurred right in front of Washington's bench they weren't happy they thought Luckman did it on purpose and it was inadvertent but here's a direct excerpt from GoldenRankings.com talking about the 1943 championship game the team doctor reported this dialogue with their star quarterback do you know where you are Sam Fort Worth who do you play for TCU Horned Frogs. Ball recalled, <laughs> I got whacked early in the game. Knocked out. I couldn't remember anything. They took me out and were asking me all these questions about all these things, and I don't remember if I could answer them or not. I had a concussion. They told me later. I begged with them. I pleaded with them to put me back in there. My head hurt, but I was alright. <laughs> the coach didn't want to take a chance. Now, there's a photograph of Sammy Barr on the sideline bench with his teammates and they're kind of consoling him he's crying on the bench yeah that 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 was a serious concussion that's some of those uh symptoms from having one right that's crazy yeah it's the snickers commercial uh, who are you he said uh who, who am I coach who are you I'm Batman yeah and he had one of them moments he, he actually did and uh that that was um that that was crazy. And they were down 21 to seven in that game. Ball actually got re-examined and was allowed to go back in there in the third quarter. And in my reading, there were several instances where Ball has, you know, it was noted that he was still groggy on making tackles on defense alone. And although he led Washington to two more touchdown drives, the Bears still won that one, going away 41 to 21. So you know, it was. Um, that yeah, wasn't one it was an mvp type season and you know to lead the league in three categories like that as a starting quarterback well next year in 1944 he actually split time with frankie flinchcock again world war ii was still going on and um you know he actually missed most of the week practices and all that. Flitchcock was there for practices, but there was no way that the coach at the time was going to say, all right, ball, you're just not going to be able to play. Uh, He had uh, pretty much military orders to produce beef on his Texas farm. He did that Monday through Friday. And apparently Saturday, Sunday was practicing games for him and they split time. And they were back in the championship game by 1945, and that's when they lost to the Cleveland Rams. The Rams had their first winning season, and they uh, lost 15-14. to 14. Part of that was ball throwing the football a stupid rule where the goal post was at the front part of the end zone, right? And he throws a pass, and the pass hits the goal post and bounces back in the end zone and it was a safety. That was re- literally the difference in the game. Not to mention Washington missed a couple of field goals, right? But, I mean, Ball set another record that season in 1944. I mean, in 1945, 70% completion percentage, 70.3 to be exact. So this guy was an amazing passer, and he did so many great things. In 1947, he was honored. Sammy Ball Day, November 23rd, when he was playing against the Chicago Cardinals. And they the fans actually gave Ball a maroon station wagon. What does he do? He goes out and throws for 355 yards, a franchise record, six touchdown passes in a 45 to 21 win. He led the league in, uh, in attempts with 354, completions, 210, and yards with 2,938, and then touchdowns as well, 25. All career highs. I mean, you don't you don't have that. They weren't doing this kind of stuff on a normal basis yet. They just weren't they just were not and again you know and after 1952 16 years in washington sammy ball ends up retiring and matter of fact i read where he didn't even play quarterback in his final game i think he only punted but still six division titles five nfl title games two championships Four times he led the league in passing yardage. Twice, the NFL's touchdown leader. He led the league in passing six times. And that's tied with a fellow Hall of Famer, Steve Young. 1937, 1940, 43, 45, 47, and 49. And is alone with the most seasons leading the league with the lowest interception uh, percentage. Five times. Six touchdown passes in the game. Twice. He did that twice. So he was ahead of his time. A modern-day passer playing in the 30s and 40s, so it, it like I said, in the time where stuff was so primitive, they weren't doing a lot of these things yet. As a defensive back at the time of his retirement, 31 career interceptions and 491 return yards. It's pretty good. Remember, there were there were no substitutions and stuff, right? They, they weren't doing those things. You got to understand the times. No free substitutions. Players played both ways. There was no specialization. I'm a quarterback only. I'm a cornerback. No, you played all over the field. A lot like, you know, most high schools. The best athletes that play both ways, yeah. Passing was just getting started. There was a lack of protection. Remember, there was no helmets for some players. Other helmets at that. 1937, he set the NFL record with 81 completions. By 47, he had a new one with 210 that stood until 1960 when passing was starting to really take off, right? And uh, I mean, seven-time All-NFL selection. They'll call it All-Pro now. There was no such thing as an All-Pro back then. 187 touchdown passes in his career. 21,886 yards passing six pro bowls four-time first-team all-pro is what we will call it today is that that's what he was and ball had set 13 nfl records after he retired and was inducted into the charter the inaugural class of the pro football hall of fame in 1963 and that class one day i'm going to have to go over that class Uh, that that was probably in my opinion the greatest class ever Uh, I may be wrong, but just reading all the names that were on that list, yeah. A lot of those guys started professional football. And one guy that got the passing game started in the way that we do it today, that was Sammy Ball. That's it. References thanks to ESPN.com, ProFootballReference.com, GoldenRankings.com. The article was the 1943 Washington Redskins at Chicago Bears, the championship. The Coffin Corner, volume 24 Number three, this was written in 2002, Sammy Ball by Michael Rickman, or Richmond. Couple books, The League, How Five Rivals Created the NFL and Launched a Sports Empire. John Eisenberg is the author. How Football Became Football, 150 Years of the Game's Evolution. Timothy P. Brown is your author. And then, of course, my favorite book, and it's Falling Apart. I'm gonna buy another one just to sit around. America's Game, the NFL at 100, Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams, the co authors, and of course, 75 Seasons. Love that movie. It's still on YouTube if you don't own it on video cassette. Yeah, uh, yeah video cassette. <laughs> and finally, my eyes, ears, and brain. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast, presented by Billy Up Sports, Billy Up Media, Billy Up Sports Podcast Network. Go to BillyUpsports.com. And, uh, again, you catch us on Megaphone, our home base, and as well as the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show. Happy New Year. We're just getting started. I'm out.